calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. Robbie Crystal crept down the stairs. He could hear his father snoring in the bedroom around the corner, and didn't see any light leaking under the door. That meant his mother had probably closed her book and gone to sleep as well. He was in the clear. He did a little jeté over the board that always popped under pressure and landed deftly on the plush carpet of the lounge. All the curtains were drawn, as usual. Robbie's father, Tanner, insisted shutting the curtains discouraged burglars. Robbie didn't believe him. He wasn't afraid of burglars or anything. He'd been scared of plenty of stuff when he was ten, even eleven, but he was twelve now. He couldn't let childish fears slow him down anymore. He navigated the familiar surroundings despite the dark, slinking into the kitchen. His room upstairs received a fraction of the air conditioning's chill and always stayed humid throughout the summer, even at night. He needed something to cool him down, and one of the bomb pops left over from the 4th of July sounded just right. His mother never would have approved of him eating sugar so late, but she didn't need to know. After all, Robbie was 12 now. He could make his own decisions. In the kitchen, Robbie's vision started to sharpen. His dilated pupils, starved for light, had finally opened up. He gripped the freezer handle just as the air conditioning stopped blowing loudly through the vents behind him. Robbie froze. With the house so quiet, he feared even the minuscule sound of the freezer seal cracking open could wake his parents. He imagined his father coming around the corner, the light attached to the underbarrel of his Glock pointed right at him. This had happened once before, and it had taken Robbie almost a year to look at Tanner the same way again. The lack of white noise from the air conditioner posed another problem. It challenged Robbie's fearless idea of himself. 
In the new silence, the house cracked and popped randomly. It made him nervous to turn his back on the open floor plan behind him. With a deep breath, he peeled open the freezer and was smacked by an ice-cold blast. He reached into the back where the box of bomb pops leaned against a bag of frozen fruit. The popsicle's wrappers crinkled as he tried to remove one and he immediately gave up. He hadn't thought of how loud those wrappers were before. Carefully, he shut the freezer. Time for plan B. The Crystals always kept bottles of lemon soda water in the fridge during the summer because Robbie's mother, Sonia, insisted they were healthier than lemonade. Robbie opened the fridge to retrieve one of these and was blasted by light. It bore at his eyes even when he squeezed them shut. Robbie grabbed a plastic bottle and shut the door quickly. When he opened his eyes again, the house seemed even darker than it had before. Light shock had shrunk his pupils to dots, and now he couldn't see a thing. As he turned to leave, Robbie heard it. The distinct, metallic clink of chains in the dark. He whipped around but could see nothing. The sound had come from across the room, and the boy stared intently in its direction. He told himself he had just imagined it, just as he had every other time. He waited and stared, partially daring the sound to repeat, but mostly hoping it wouldn't. As he gripped the cold, sweaty bottle in his hand, his vision slowly returned. As silhouettes of the lounge furniture began to crystallize, Robbie noticed a dark shape in the farthest corner. Robbie squeezed his eyes shut so tight he saw stars, then opened them wide, expecting the dark shape, surely a figment of his imagination, to be gone. But it wasn't. Now it began to resemble a man with a towering head and shoulders. Again came the sound of chain links sliding against one another as the dark shape moved ever so slightly. Robbie darted out of the kitchen and ran up the stairs. Robbie, a small voice whispered as he passed his sister's room. His bare feet skidded on the carpet. He turned back and saw the pale blue glow of his sister's nightlight emanating from a narrow gap in the doorway. The light was interrupted only by her thin figure. The light bounced off her hair and illuminated her pink nightgown, giving her an angelic appearance. I was just getting a drink. Go back to bed, Layla, Robbie whispered harshly. Did you hear it? She asked. No. Did you? He couldn't help himself. Nuh-uh, but I heard you running and thought, Rattle isn't real, Layla. You're just being a dumb kid. Now go back to bed. Robbie heard his sister sniffle as she carefully closed her door. He hurried the rest of the way to his room, his words echoing in his mind. Words he had meant more for himself than his sister. Rattle isn't real. You're just being a dumb kid. Layla trained a hurt, hateful expression little sisters reserve only for big brothers on Robbie all throughout breakfast the next morning. Robbie actively ignored her. So Robbie, did you find what you were looking for last night? Sonia asked her son. Through a mouthful of cream cheese and bagel, Robbie replied, Huh? Yeah, yeah, you're lucky I kept old Clint Eastwood here in check. She rested a hand on Tanner's shoulder. You might have had another scare. Who's Clint Eastwood? Robbie asked rudely. Tanner slid his plate and glass of orange juice out of his own way and leaned toward Robbie over the table. He pinched his eyebrows together and cocked his head to one side, then asked, Do you feel lucky, punk? No, Robbie said. 
Tanner stayed in character for a few seconds after Sonya started laughing, but when Layla joined in, he lost it. Robbie rolled his eyes, but didn't hide his humored smirk very well. When the laughter died, Tanner said, Seriously, though, this place isn't a prison, obviously. I mean, you kids aren't in lockdown. But I don't think you need to be rustling through the pantry all night, alright? Snacking late isn't healthy. I didn't go in the pantry, Robbie said smugly. Okay, well then, whatever the heck you were doing in the kitchen last night. Just get a glass of water if your stomach feels empty. Trust me, it'll help. He's right, Sonia said. Yeah, okay. Robbie rolled his eyes again. He caught Layla mockingly copying him from the corner of his eye. Sonia dropped the bottom half of her bagel onto Robbie's plate as she stood up from the table. She said, For the growing boy, maybe you should eat more before bed, huh? When you're done, finish getting ready. Yeah, we gotta get going soon, Tanner added, rubbing the top of Layla's head. The elementary school was on his way to work, so he always dropped her off on the way. Sonia took Robbie to the middle school in the opposite direction. After dropping him off, she would return to the house to work from home. Having the place to herself, quiet, made her more productive than she had been in any other professional environment. As a programmer, she could easily throw on some music, as loud or as soft as she wanted, and get into a trance-like state, an uninterruptible rhythm, and not come out of it until she had to pick up Robbie at 3.15. After saying goodbye to Robbie that morning, Sonia followed her usual pattern, straight back home to begin the day's work. She sat down at her computer, fired up Spotify, and found her Animals as Leaders playlist, Their music had just the right balance of mathematical rhythms and hypnotic melodies to keep her engaged, but not distracted. They were a go-to for her during work hours. As the loud guitars and drums thumped from her speakers and her fingers clacked away at her mechanical keys, Sonia found her rhythm. Her fingers stopped only to wrap around her coffee cup from time to time until it was empty. Around one in the afternoon, she had to pause at a particularly tricky line of code and search the web for some help. As she scanned forum after forum, she turned down the music about halfway. She thought she heard someone set keys down on the kitchen counter and looked up from her computer screen. She glanced out the window of her second-floor office but didn't see Tanner's car in the driveway. She heard it again. The jingle of keys, or something similar. Sonia spun her chair around to face the door. Even though she was home alone, she still shut the door. It was a focusing tip she had gleaned from Stephen King's book on writing. She stood, went to the door, and cracked it open. Hello, she called. She wondered if one of the kids had come back somehow. The middle school wasn't too far away. Robbie could have walked home, but why so early? If he had gotten sick, he or the nurse would have called. Sonia went into the hallway and walked to the top of the stairs. Her bare feet made no sound on the carpet. There was a jumble of sounds from the kitchen. She recognized one as the broom falling out of the pantry. It happened often enough, but never on its own. Robbie? Sonia called down the stairs. Tanner? No answer. Now her palms began to sweat. Someone was definitely down there. She had left her phone at her desk, not thinking she would need it. Quietly, still trying to listen, she backed away from the stairs. She planned to lock herself in the bathroom and call 911, but when she had turned her back to the stairs, she heard the notorious board at the base of the stairs pop, a sound it only made when someone stepped on it. Sonia whipped her head around. There was no one there. Only the jingle of keys 
coming from her bedroom now. No, not keys. The sound she heard was the rattle of chains. Robbie waited until 3.30 to call his mom from the front office. Sonia had only neglected to pick him up on time once before, and that had been due to a fender bender at a stoplight, and she had still called the school to let them know she would be late. The phone rang five times before Sonia's familiar voicemail recording played in Robbie's ear. He eyed the secretary, who was fixated on her computer screen. Robbie spoke over the recorded message. Hey mom. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. He coughed to cover up the beep, which surely would have triggered the secretary's suspicion. No, I don't mind. Okay, see you in a bit. Robbie hung up. Everything all right? The secretary asked without looking up. Yeah, guess dad got held up at work, so mom had to pick up my sister. She said I can walk home or wait for her, but I told her I'd walk. The secretary nodded, buying the whole story. Be safe. Robbie took the walk at a consistently brisk pace. Twice, he nearly broke into a run. He only held himself back because to run would be to admit what he was desperately trying to convince himself against, that something was horribly wrong at home. No call from his mom? No answer when he called? No dad or other adult to pick him up instead? Robbie tried not to dwell on the possible scenarios, whatever he might find at home. Rounding the corner onto his street, Robbie saw the house was still standing. No fire, at least. His mother's car was not in the driveway, but she usually parked in the garage. He wasn't quite tall enough to see through the small square windows in the garage door yet. He cut across the lawn, shooting straight for the front door. Locked. Robbie went around the house to the glass sliding door in the back. Also locked. However, this door had a trick only Robbie knew of, as far as he knew. With an inward push and a sword-in-the-stone lift, Robbie dislodged the door enough for the lock to unhook itself. Red-faced, Robbie pushed the door open. Mom? He called into the echoey house. He knew she wasn't there right away. The house didn't quite feel empty, but he didn't sense his mother's presence. The telltale clack of her heavy keyboard was missing. That was it. Robbie went to the garage and saw Sonia's car parked there as usual. So where was she? Losing hold on his suppressed panic, Robbie dropped his backpack gracelessly by the garage door and tore up the stairs. He called for his mom through every doorway he passed. Each room, including the bathroom and Sonia's office, was empty. Maybe she just fell asleep, he hoped. Maybe that's why she was late and missed my call. Robbie darted back down the stairs, throwing open his parents' bedroom door. Sonia wasn't in there either nor was she in the attached bathroom. Robbie groaned and went to the kitchen where the family's landline perched on the counter next to a pineapple. He pressed star two, which automatically dialed Sonia's cell phone. It rang upstairs. Robbie left the phone face down on the counter and ran back upstairs to find the ringing cell. It was right in the middle of Sonia's desk. She hadn't lost it then. Why wouldn't she have taken it with her wherever she was? The front doorknob turned over twice, then a heavy hand thumped against the door. Sonia, you locked us out. Robbie ran down to his father. When he opened the door, Tanner was shuffling his keys and Layla looked annoyed. Oh, you are home, Tanner said. I thought maybe you two hadn't gotten back yet. Mom's not here, Robbie blurted out. In a mixed up, structureless way, 
Robbie told the story of how he had come home. He explained how Sonia had just up and disappeared without a trace. Tanner's instinct was to text his wife, but he recalled Robbie had at some point mentioned Sonia's phone was still upstairs. He told the kids to wait for her. Maybe she just went for a walk to disconnect. But like Robbie, not wanting to run home, Tanner was only avoiding the inevitable next step. At six, with no sign of Sonia, he called the police. While the police spoke to Tanner downstairs, Robbie sat on his bed feeling lost and powerless. One of the officers had told him he did the best thing he could do by providing them with everything he could remember about that morning and afternoon. But Robbie knew what he had told them couldn't possibly be that helpful. Except for the part about the back door, maybe. How he was able to unlock it. Robbie? Layla's weak voice came through the crack in his door. He looked up but didn't invite her in. What? Layla slipped through the door and gently pushed it closed behind herself. She said, Do you think we should tell them about Rattle? Oh my god, Layla. Robbie bounced off his bed. He got on his knees in front of his sister and leaned in uncomfortably close. For the last time, Rattle isn't real. He's something you made up. He couldn't have taken mom because he can't hurt anybody because he's not real. The muffled voices downstairs stopped. Layla's big tears ran down her cheeks. Her hope died in her brother's cold eyes. She had come to his room for help for encouragement. She was too afraid to tell the police officers on her own, but she knew, she knew beyond any shred of a doubt, that the shadowy figure who came out at night was to blame for their mother's disappearance. If Robbie didn't believe her, even though she knew he had seen Rattle and heard the jingling chains, how could she expect the police to believe her? You're wrong, Layla said defiantly. She wiped her tears away. You're wrong and you know it. You know he's real, and you know he took mom. Where? Where did Rattle take mom, Layla? If you know, why don't you go tell dad and the cops so they can bring her back, huh? She'll be just in time for dinner. Stop being so mean. Layla stormed out and slammed the door in her wake. Robbie heard the police car outside start up and drive away. At the same time, his father's footsteps came up the stairs. He opened Robbie's door as the police car's engine faded into the distance. Hey, um... Tanner said, peering in from the threshold. Robbie could tell his dad was trying to look tough. So, the police said they have to wait to open an official case, but that they'll keep an eye out. We're supposed to call them if we think of anything or notice something we didn't before. You, uh, can't think of anything else? No, I told them everything. Right. Yeah, I figured. Just had to ask. So, you okay? Robbie skipped the question and asked, What do they think happened? Like, how can someone just disappear? What do they think happened? Well, uh... Tanner stepped into Robbie's room and shut the door behind himself. They didn't out and say it, but I'm pretty sure they think Mom just skipped town. Ran off to who knows where. You know, some people were just really unhappy and... Not Mom, though, Robbie said definitively. That's not what happened to her. No. No, you and I both know that. And Layla. It'll just take a little convincing with the police, I think. The door cracked open and Layla's wet face appeared. She said, Dad, can I talk to you? Yeah, sweetie, come on in, Tanner said. Can I talk to you without Robbie? Tanner looked at his son, then his daughter, then back. He shrugged and followed Layla out of the room. No one ate dinner that night. 
Tanner baked a frozen pizza, which sat uncut on the counter until the cheese turned hard and the grease congealed on top. The three of them all sat in the living room, all staring into separate screens. Robbie and Layla played mindless games on their iPads. Tanner went through their doorbell camera's footage from that day, something the police would do once the 24-hour waiting period was up, but that he could do now. He watched and scrubbed through footage from when Sonia had pulled in that morning to when Robbie came home from school. Then he stopped. He put his phone in his pocket and stood up. You two mind hanging out here while I go talk to some neighbors? I want to know if any of them have cameras that might have caught something. Sure, Robbie said. Layla looked warily at Robbie, but said nothing. Great, I'll be back in a bit. Tanner left, leaving the children alone. They played their games in silence, refusing to look at each other. Suddenly, Layla's head shot up, eyes wide. Did you hear it? She asked. Robbie refused to take his eyes off the screen. He shook his head. But then faintly, he did hear it. A soft, brief tinkle. It sounded like it came from upstairs. Robbie didn't look up, but Layla saw him grow stiff. See? Layla whispered. He's real. Robbie gritted his teeth. He thought of the previous night when he had opened the fridge. He remembered turning around and seeing that dark silhouette outlined in shadows, hearing the unmistakable rattle of chains. But he'd known ghosts didn't exist since he was younger than Layla was now. She was putting ideas in his head, that was all. She kept talking about this sinister spirit named Rattle and had infected his brain with the idea. No, he said with false conviction. No, Layla, for the last time, Rattle is not... Something went bump on the stairs and silenced both children. They watched the steps with apprehension. The setting sun cast long shadows through the glass sliding door. Usually, this orange glow made their home look beautiful, but right now, it looked more like the shadows were eating away at the sunlight rather than the other way around. Robbie, terrified but having an idea, stood and walked into the kitchen. The pantry was under the stairs. As far as he knew, no one had looked in there for Sonia. It seemed like a huge oversight now. The rattling chains, the bumping noise. What if she was tied up in there for some reason? What if she needed help? Robbie twisted the doorknob with haste and reached inside to flip on the light. Layla cowered behind the couch. Robbie swung the door all the way open. Besides the usual dry goods and cleaning supplies, the pantry was empty. Nothing here, Robbie announced. Then what was it? Layla asked. Robbie shook the broom handle and pushed against one of the shelves to see if anything rattled. Neither experiment produced the right noise, though. The mystery remained, and Robbie, unwillingly, found himself starting to believe Layla could be right about Rattle. And if she was, what did that mean for their mother? Robbie flipped off the pantry light. A thump suddenly reverberated against the wood right next to his head. The broom tipped over and fell toward him. Layla screamed as Robbie stumbled backwards away from the pantry. He stood next to the kitchen island, panting and staring into the dark pantry, waiting for whatever would come next. He imagined that tall figure from the previous night standing in the back between the shelves, watching him. But nothing else happened. No more sudden shadows, no shadowy figures. Robbie told Layla that he must have accidentally bumped the broom, something he managed to convince himself of as well. He put it back in its place and closed the pantry door. 
Tanner sent the kids to bed at the usual time that night. He wanted to let them stay up, especially after they begged to wait up for mom with him, but Tanner knew the best thing for the kids was to maintain as much normalcy as possible. Order and normalcy would be helpful allies and necessary partners as they waited for Sonia to turn up, one way or another. With the kids upstairs, Tanner opened the wine cabinet. He stared at the bottles of various reds and whites, then shook his head and closed it. He went for the liquor instead. He poured two fingers of Old Forester, which he downed without wincing. The bottle followed him to the couch. There, Tanner opened Sophia's phone and began searching from app to app, reading messages, calendars, notes, anything which might indicate where she might have gone. She hadn't withdrawn any money or ordered anything to be shipped to a different address. She hadn't had anything on her schedule that day, but she had multiple meetings planned for tomorrow. With each app he investigated, Tanner took another swig from the bottle. He started pulling longer on the bottle the more it took control of him. He only stopped drinking when he realized the cops could show up or call at any moment with news. Or maybe Sonia would just stroll right through the front door. In any case, he didn't want to be more of a sloppy mess than he already was. Tanner left the bottle open, as well as Sonia's phone, when he slumped over the couch and passed out. Robbie couldn't sleep. Wouldn't sleep. He refused. How could he just disappear himself from the world when his mother was out there somewhere? What if she was hurt? What if she needed him to find her right away? Would he just let her bleed out or suffocate or... or who knows what, so he could get some beauty rest? He sat on the edge of the bed, pondering what he could do. Short of taking a flashlight outside and searching the neighboring blocks, he couldn't think of anything. He grasped for ideas desperately. He felt like he was drowning and someone had just dropped a snorkel somewhere above him. He was flailing for it, knowing it was there, but being unable to find it. Fading. Robbie broke into tears. Layla couldn't sleep either. She also didn't want to, but not for the same reasons as Robbie. In her world, a monster lurked. A big, hairy thing with broken chains hanging from its neck, its arms, its powerful legs. A werewolf, maybe like in Harry Potter, but this werewolf had taken her mom away. She didn't know what it had done with her, but did it matter? It did, because the monster would come for her next, she felt sure. She tried to put the sinister sound of those rattling chains out of her mind, but the more she tried, the more the sounds echoed inside her. As if on cue, Layla heard them for real. The slithering chains, writhing. They came from under her bed. Not directly beneath her, but through the floor. And they moved rapidly. Short, abrupt gestures beneath the floor. Rattle, as she had named the beast, was just below her. Layla padded into the hall, listening to the chains to make sure they weren't somehow following her. She wondered if Rattle could see her even when she couldn't see him. She wanted to go to her father's room and ask to sleep in his bed, but his room was downstairs down where the chains rattled. She couldn't go down there alone. Instead, begrudgingly, she went to Robbie. Her brother turned away from her when she opened his door, but not before she saw he'd been crying. Go away, he whisper shouted. He wiped at his face with the front of his t-shirt. I can hear him under my room, Layla said. She didn't care if Robbie was crying or angry with her. 
She just didn't want to be alone. Who? Rattle? Seriously, I keep telling you he's... Robbie, stop it. Just come listen. Robbie gave his sister a wide, bleary-eyed glance. With nothing else to do, he silently obeyed. The two walked side by side down the hall towards her room. Robbie could hear the chains before they had even reached the door. He pictured a prisoner in a medieval dungeon dangling from the wall, desperately thrashing around. He had never heard the chains rattle so furiously before. In every previous instance, it had sounded as if the wearer had been trying to mute the chains, as if they were an inconvenience destroying an otherwise perfect stealth. Now it seemed the thing Layla had named Rattle didn't care if they knew it was there. Robbie trembled as he considered what that might mean. Do you believe me now? Layla asked. Robbie only put a hand on her shoulder and pushed open her door. She had almost been right. The sounds were close to her room, but not quite directly below. From the hall, he could tell they were coming from either the kitchen or the stairs. Pushing Layla behind himself, Robbie peered out at the short staircase, terrified he might see that evil silhouette staring back at him, swinging long chains meant to grab at his flesh. But nothing was on the stairs or near them. A deep, aggressive grunt sent them both tumbling back into the hallway. Robbie fell on top of Layla. She struggled her way out from underneath him. The sound repeated, louder, and they both realized what it was. Chainsaw snoring coming from downstairs. Robbie stood but pushed Layla down, silently telling her to stay put. He leaned over the banister to peek at the living room. There, a faint rectangular glow lit up a nearly empty bottle. Robbie couldn't see his father laying on the other side of the couch, but the bottle, the open phone, the snoring, he was able to put the story together on his own. Beneath his feet, a chorus of rattling chains threatened to break through the floor and grab him. There was a crash in the pantry under the stairs, then stillness. Dad, Robbie whispered as loudly as he dared. Then, Dad, breaking the whisper, he called for his dad again. At the sound of Robbie's voice, the chain slithered toward the pantry door. Robbie looked back at Layla on all fours in the hallway. The pantry door slowly opened below him. Dad, wake up! Robbie screamed. The pantry burst open, slamming against the fridge. The broom fell out, its wooden handle banging against the tile. Tanner snorted and his snoring stopped, but he didn't rise from the couch. Robbie tried to scream again, but his throat seized when he saw a tall figure emerge from the pantry, accompanied by the unhindered clinking and rattling of chains. This way, Robbie yelled to Layla. He pulled her to her feet and led her back to his room. Once she was safely inside, Robbie dragged his nightstand in front of the door and sat in front of it. He told Layla to open the window, which she did with some effort. We have to jump, Robbie said with disbelief. But it's too high, Layla said, appalled. The chains drew nearer. They were coming down the hall. The carpet outside padded their wearer's footsteps. I'll keep the door shut until you're safe, Robbie said. Then I'll be right behind you. But Robbie, I can't jump that far. A hand clamped around the doorknob and twisted. Robbie pushed back against the nightstand. Chains struck the door and jingled. Then a big thud rocked the nightstand forward. Robbie kept pushing, but even that first blow told him he wouldn't last long. Layla, go, he yelled. He needed his sister to jump first so he could follow her. 
or they would both be killed. Another impact against the door forced Robbie and the nightstand forward a few inches, enough for the door to open slightly. Robbie pushed against the door with all his strength, forcing the door closed again. Layla, Robbie whispered, out of breath. Looking like she had completely disassociated from the world, Layla turned away from him and climbed into the windowsill. The door broke free from the upper two hinges and cracked in the middle, splitting from the heaviest blow yet. The broken door fell on Robbie's head, and chains clattered against it as something tried to climb through the opening. Robbie rolled away, just barely dodging the fingers of two hands bound together at the wrists. There was a flash, then two more, each only lasting a fraction of a second. Robbie's ears rang. He covered them instinctively and curled into a ball on the floor. The only sound he was vaguely aware of was his sister's continuous screaming. All at once, hands were on him, grabbing at his clothes, his arms, wrapping around his head. He smelled sweat and cologne and alcohol. Then the hands released him. Robbie opened his eyes and watched a tall, dark figure grab his sister from the window. Ears still ringing, he stood and ran at the figure. He flung wild fists wherever they would land. The figure tried to dodge them but didn't fight back. After a few seconds, a familiar voice cut through the ringing in Robbie's ears. It shouted his name over and over. The voice belonged to his father. Robbie opened his eyes. He hadn't realized he'd clenched them shut again when he started battering his dad. First, he saw Layla curled up on his bed, sobbing. Then he looked into the ghost-white face of his father. Tanner was looking past Robbie, over his head, at the broken door, and the large figure collapsed on top of it. The figure was laying face down, with its hands stretched above its head. One chain bound its hands together, and another connected its hands to a long belt which dangled just above the floor. Blood ran down the nightstand, pooling on the floor beneath the belt. Robbie turned back to his father and noticed, for the first time, the pistol in his right hand. Tanner pushed Robbie toward the bed and handed him the pistol. You remember how to use it? He asked. Robbie nodded. Keep it pointed at him. Tanner dragged the heavy body out of the doorway, pushed the nightstand over the puddle of blood, then beckoned his children to follow him out of the room. He took the gun from Robbie, then led him downstairs. Go out the back door. I need to get my phone, Tanner said. He went to the living room. Robbie followed Layla to the back door, but then looked over his shoulder. He saw the open pantry, the broom which had fallen out. Once Layla had gone outside, Robbie knew she wouldn't go out without him. He turned back. Tanner returned to the kitchen just as Robbie stepped into the pantry. Robbie, don't, he commanded. You don't know what's in there. Robbie understood the implication. He heard the underlying grief and apprehension in his father's voice. He had a feeling they both knew what was in there, to some degree. But he had to see for himself. He remembered sitting on his bed just minutes ago, wondering if his mother was hurt somewhere, possibly dying. He remembered wondering what he could do. Well, this was it. Robbie flipped on the pantry light and saw a panel had been slid away near the back. The underside of the stairs was totally exposed, and beneath them was a space not tall enough for a man to stand, but certainly for one to sit, lay, and wait. Robbie crawled into the open space, where the staircase neared the floor. 
Robbie found his mother. She had been stuffed beneath the last three steps and now lay with her back to him, her knees curled up into her stomach. Robbie crawled over to her, put a hand on her bare neck, which had been darkened with purple and black bruises, and felt her ice-cold skin. Rattle, it turned out, had been very real indeed. He hadn't been some malevolent ghost or evil spirit. He had just been an ordinary man. Ordinary, in the sense that he was just flesh and bones, at least. Rattle's real name was Ezekiel McRae, a man who had murdered his wife after claiming to have found her with another man. The thing was, he claimed he had killed the other man, too, but no evidence could be found to prove anyone else had ever been in the house. Ezekiel had escaped from a maximum security prison two states over when a fire broke out in the kitchen. Each prisoner had been led outside in belts with handcuffs attached to the front and cuffs chaining their ankles together. It seemed that even though McRae had managed to sneak away and climb onto a train, he had been unable to escape the bonds yet. The police told Tanner that McRae likely hadn't been staying in their home with the intention of killing anyone, but rather just to wait and plan his next steps. They speculated that Sonia had just been unfortunate enough to discover the lurker. Killing the mother and hearing the police in the house had turned the man desperate, perhaps even caused another mental break. Hence his attempted midnight escape, which had been interrupted by children he probably thought were asleep. You did a good thing, a detective said to Tanner. He could clearly see the father was getting lost in a collapsing world. Don't forget that. But I... I should've. You saved your kids. They're still alive because of you, and that's what matters now. You have to keep being there for them. The detective glanced at the nearly empty bottle of Old Forester on the coffee table. He picked it up. It's gonna be hard to move on, I know. He walked the bottle to the sink and dumped its remaining contents down the drain. But you'll be strong for them, won't you? Tanner nodded solemnly, watching the last drops drip from the mouth of the bottle. He rose and shook the detective's hand. He said, Yes, sir, I will. It surprised Tanner to learn that deep down, he had the strength to be there for his two children. Sometimes it felt like he only barely had enough, but enough is all he needed. On top of losing their mother, both children would occasionally come find him late at night while he sat on the couch trying to convince himself to sleep. All three of them would, from time to time, when they closed their eyes, hear chains rattling beneath the stairs at night. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.